Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is David Robson, author of a fascinating new book called The Expectation Effect, How Your Mindset Can Transform Your Life. Now, you've probably heard of the placebo effect, but David's book explains how both negative and positive expectations really can be self-fulfilling. This phenomena can impact upon our mental health in a really big way. And don't worry, David's not a weird hippie just espousing a load of trite bollocks about the power of positive thinking. Quite the opposite, in fact. He's a science writer with a fundamental belief in evidence-based understanding. And his arguments are all underpinned by rigorous and really quite remarkable scientific studies, much of which he outlines in the chat that you're about to hear. I really hope you enjoy listening. David Robson, welcome to The Reset. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you. I'm very much enjoying the expectation effect. Um, fascinating stuff. Can you tell me a bit about what motivated you to write this? Yes, yeah, sure. So, um, kind of, I'd been, I'm a science writer, so I'd worked for New Scientist and uh, then as a senior journalist at the BBC. And so I'd always been fascinated by the placebo effect. But I, um, came to understand that there's also the opposite of the uh, the placebo effect, which is called the nocebo effect. So that's where our negative expectations can cause us to become ill. And I actually had a personal experience of this myself because um, I was um, uh, had a kind of period of depression in my life, and I was prescribed some common antidepressants. And uh, my doctor just gave me a warning that they had been known to cause headaches or migraines for people taking them. And quite soon after I started, I did experience these really bad migraines. You know, it felt like a kind of ice pick going through my skull. It was very distracting. It could have actually stopped me from continuing with the medications, even though I found that they were quite useful for um, kind of improving my mood a little bit. Um, 
but then as I was kind of researching just by coincidence, this article on the nocebo effect, I actually found that this could have just been a product of my expectations. And it's actually quite common, especially for these kinds of pills, that that is caused by expectations rather than the direct action of the drug. And it was just that realization um, of that possibility, actually, that then helped me uh, to kind of get over that pain. So it was quite remarkable. I went out in the um, I kind of read that paper in the morning, went out for lunch, and then over the afternoon, the pain just dissipated, just because I'd opened my mind up to this possibility and had been able to question whether actually the pain was um, kind of inevitable or whether it was a product of my mind. Um, and that that really got me started. It just showed how powerful our expectations can be in shaping our well-being, because the pain I was feeling certainly wasn't imagined or made up in that kind of sense that I wasn't being a hypochondriac. Like it felt just like any other headache I've ever experienced in my life. And the scientific research really shows that, that actually you can observe physiological changes when people have these headaches caused by nocebo effects. Um, you see changes in the uh, brain's vasculature, for example. Um, and follow, following that, I just started to look at all kinds of um, expectation effects, you know, gathered all of this research that shows that actually they can shape our well-being in so many different areas of our life, our kind of fitness, our response to exercise, our responses to new diets, even how we age. So it's really essential to understand the expectation effect for our physical health and our mental health. Sure. Um, what were the uh, other sort of key studies when you first started? I mean, there's a one that fascinated me right in the introduction of the book about some people who worked as hotel cleaners. Can you tell us a bit about that? Right. Yeah, that's a classic study. And I think that is the perfect example of an expectation effect. Um, so what happened was that um, these researchers um, at Harvard University uh, kind of suspected that some of the benefits of exercise might actually be a, a form of the expectation effect, much like the placebo effect. So if you think exercise is going to help your health, it actually does so more powerfully. Um, and so what they did was they entered um, these hotels and spoke to the cleaners who actually do a lot of physical activity as they're kind of lifting furniture, cleaning windows, you know, hoovering, all of these things actually burns a lot of calories that e easily um, amounts to the recommended exercise for the week. But, you know, these cleaners weren't um, interpreting their work as exercise. It, they didn't see it as being equivalent to going to the gym or, you know, running um, a 5K each week. Um, but all the researchers did was just educate them about that fact and, you know, help to reassure them that actually this physical activity you're getting is good for your health. And then uh, a month later, they returned and they measured um, all kinds of uh, aspects of the health. And they found that actually simply understanding this, this fact about their work, simply reinterpreting their work had produced notable changes. So it reduced their blood pressure, it even helped them to lose a bit of weight, even though other elements of their lifestyle didn't seem to have changed. They didn't seem to have um, taken up more exercise themselves outside of work. They didn't seem to have changed their diet. So it really seemed to be the expectation effect that was contributing to this change, compared to some other cleaners who um, had also been part of the study, but just hadn't been told to interpret their work in that way. Um, now, that was really important for me for a number of reasons. I think it showed that actually this could be very powerful, you know, outside of the clinical setting just in everyday life, um, whereas most of the previous research on expectation effects had been in kind of hospitals and doctor's surgeries. Um, I think also what was really important for me was that this wasn't a kind of um, exercise in like self-deception or delusion, you know, all the hotel cleaners um, were being told was completely accurate scientific fact 
you know, they were just being educated. And that actually, it was that reframing that helped them to receive these benefits. So it seemed also that this was eminently practical, you know, people don't want to kind of feel like they're being deceived, but actually just knowing a bit more about how you can reframe a situation could be incredibly powerful. And are there any similar studies um, that that reflect ways in which we can sort of re reframe our perceptions to help with mental health issues such as depression or anxiety? Mm, there certainly are. I mean, I think even just returning to the benefits of exercise, um, you know, lots of studies have shown that um, exercise can be really beneficial for your mental health, but actually that in itself seems to be an expectation effect to a certain degree. So um, what we see is that actually if people expect exercise to help their mental health, to reduce depression and anxiety, it's more likely to do so. Um, and I think that's really important for us to understand because it, it does, it, it kind of says that we might just try to shift that mindset before we start to take that kind of intervention. Um, but I think also there are really important expectation effects within things like cognitive behavioral therapy, which has been shown to be, useful but what you find is that actually people's expectations at the start of their sessions whether they think it's going to help their mental health um, helps to predict how successful it will be at relieving their symptoms of depression and anxiety um, and that's then maybe um, that's hopefully going to suggest ways that uh, researchers can uh, or therapists can kind of better frame their, the kind of sessions that they're undergoing, you know, like raise those expectations at the beginning, explain why it's going to be beneficial so that hopefully you can bring everyone up to the same level. Yeah, it's interesting because thinking about 12-step recovery, um, the, the, the first few steps are sort of based around the idea of you accepting that this will work and you can't go any further with a lot of the, the stuff that you practice in order to overcome, you know, your addictions until you've gone through the first few steps that are basically a process in accepting that it will work and that you'll give yourself over to it. And that, I, that seems to tally quite a lot with, with everything you're saying. It, it, these things won't work until you've done some pretty hard work first in, in allowing yourself to believe that, that the process will end successfully. Yeah, I think that's really true. That um, that element of hope is really important in kind of overcoming any mental health issue. I think it's like, and obviously the difficulty is that when you're in like the depths of depression or if you're in the middle of an addiction, it can be very difficult to kind of feel that hope. So, like you said, like it actually requires a lot of work to kind of get to that point. So clearly, you're a man of science, and um, uh, and you believe in evidence and and rational thinking. So. You know, where where is the line between what you are talking about in this book and people who will just tell you that faith is all, all you require to get better, which we hear Ooh. a lot of, and of course is largely opposed in every way to scientific thinking. So how, how do you how do you tell us about how you distinguish it? Yeah, I mean, I'm really glad that you raised that because that's been my kind of fear while writing the book and you know. I think I hope in every chapter I make it clear that that's not what I'm claiming at all. So mm. the expectation effect can do a lot of good, but it can't work miracles. You know, it's absolutely not true that um, just having positive expectations can automatically heal any physical or mental health complaint that you have. Like um, this is really, I think it should complement um, conventional kind of therapies rather than ever being a replacement. Um, so I would say, like um, like you said, it's kind of all based on good scientific evidence. And I would also say that in all the 
um, kind of different scenarios that I mention in, you know, whether we're talking about mental health, whether we're talking about the way we deal with stress, uh, exercise, you know, even aging can, uh, expectation effects can play a role there. But I'm not saying that we should just kind of be delusional or that we should ignore the challenges that we're facing. Um, absolutely, like the research shows that if you just ignore the difficulties or try to suppress your bad feelings, that that's actually only going to backfire. It often makes you feel a lot worse. Um, so this isn't about that. It's not about kind of just being mindlessly optimistic. It's much more about accepting those feelings and then maybe trying to kind of reframe them in a certain way. And I, I could give an example with, say, um, work on stress mindsets and anxiety, which I've personally found quite useful. So um, in addition to my um, depression, I've also kind of suffered from anxiety, um, kind of generalized anxiety, but also then specifically in kind of social situations and especially things like public speaking. Um, now, the research shows that you know, if you just try to tell yourself to calm down, that doesn't really work very well. Like um, that can actually cause you almost to to kind of have stigma around the feelings that you're experiencing. It, it causes you to appraise them more negatively because um, you assume that if you're feeling anxious, then it's a sign that you're going to fail. And when you fail to get rid of those feelings, it's a, <laughs> a sign of an even bigger failure. So it's really toxic actually to just feel that you can brush away your anxiety. But the research shows that you can actually reinterpret your anxious feelings to a certain extent. Um, and so what the, they show is that actually they tell people that, you know, anxious feelings can often, they're like an adaptive response um, to a certain extent. So if you're feeling anxious before meeting someone new, before public speaking, before an exam, before any difficult challenge, actually like we evolved this response because some of the physiological changes like your racing heart can actually help to pump oxygenated blood to your brain that sharpens your thinking. Similarly, cortisol can be damaging in um, when it's at very high levels, but actually like you do need cortisol because it actually energizes you, um, makes you kind of have an, uh, be kind of on your toes and sharp. Um, the research has shown that when you help people to see that in addition to the great discomfort that you feel with anxiety, that might bring some kind of benefits to you as well, that that shift in mindset can actually be quite powerful in improving your performance in these situations. And crucially, and it's really crucial, I think, for our mental health, it helps you to recover after you face the challenge. So that whereas in the past, say, after I'd had to do public speaking, I would have felt terrible for the whole day afterwards. I'd have been like really buzzing with that, you know, really, and it, my mind would have been racing with all of these kinds of thoughts. That actually, when you repraise your thinking in this way when you see that the anxiety was a little bit helpful potentially in helping to kind of charge you uh, charge you up and get you going that actually then you recover much more quickly afterwards physiologically and mentally and you're whereas if you're normally feeling anxious you might kind of start to see all the threats in your environment and hostility that actually this can just stop that kind of bias in your attention so you're more likely maybe if you're looking at a crowd of faces to see the kind of smiling faces as well as those who look maybe a bit more aggressive or hostile so it's just a slight reframing that can be really beneficial um, and then over time actually the effects can be quite additive and, and really quite valuable and I experienced that myself you know that actually it has really helped me to uh, not to eliminate my anxiety but to just cope with it a bit better. Yeah I mean you've been promoting this book uh, which of course promoting a book involves a lot of conversations like this one and and presumably um 
a few incidents of, of having to talk to large groups of people about what's going on in your book. So, I mean, it must be a very stressful and tiring period, particularly for someone who's, who suffers from that form of anxiety. So I suppose has has the content of what you've been re- researching and writing for the last few years actually been really beneficial to the sort of promotional campaign you've had to carry out? Oh, it has. Yeah, because like for my first book, The Intelligence Trap, you know, I also had to do this, um, some promotional talks and, you know, media interviews. And I would feel so anxious beforehand that I started to take um, beta blockers to take the edge off of that anxiety. Mm. Um, I don't do that anymore because I've learned to reframe my anxiety in this way. So it has been very beneficial there. And I still find it tiring. Like I still... I'm not going to say that I just love like talking to a big group of people. Um, But like I would say that it's much more manageable now. And it's actually something that even if it's tiring, it it can feel rewarding at the same time. And that's some kind of benefit that I never had before. Like I never felt proud or pleased after a talk. I only felt kind of anxious and had that kind of negative rumination in my head. So it's been really helpful for this campaign. I mean, a lot of this in a broader sense is about something that I think we discuss a lot on The Reset and I I write about on The Reset a lot, which is just being more aware and conscious of your feelings and what influences them. Because a lot of us uh, just go through life, you take some things for granted and you don't really reflect much on, on the experiences you're having and the effect they might be having on you. And sometimes small things are actually quite traumatizing, but we're conditioned not to really acknowledge that. And a, a lot of, of what you're saying, particularly about the stuff referring to yourself and and um, the anxieties of public speaking and so forth, it's just about sort of un- understanding more what you're going through and how it is legitimately having an impact on the way you feel. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And I think like, um, you know, I think so much of, um, so much of the time, like our negative feelings are kind of stigmatized and actually, especially yeah. like you said, when for other people, it might seem like a small challenge. And for you, it's a big challenge or very upsetting. Then the feelings themselves become this kind of stigma that you feel ashamed of. Um, the research just shows that that stigma is just making our experiences so much worse. Um, and that actually just having being able to kind of recognize how you're feeling is really important. So there's lots of research on that, that being able to put how you're feeling into words is itself really beneficial for your mental health. But then also being able to cultivate a kind of more accepting attitude to when you're feeling bad is really useful too. So just, you know, like, like with the anxiety in a way, it's like accepting that actually it's natural that you're going to feel anxious sometimes for these kinds of events. But that doesn't mean that the anxiety itself is dangerous or anything to be ashamed of. Um, and I think that goes um, for all kinds of feelings that we might have, like frustrations, disappointment, sadnesses, that actually like, we need to just stop feeling bad about feeling bad, um, that sometimes we just have to accept that it's a part of life and that we're, there's nothing wrong with us for feeling that way. Uh, absolutely right. And, and beautifully put. And, um, and you know, I would I would recommend people to pick up your book and read it as well because th- that's a powerful statement that you just made. But also hearteningly, there is such a wealth of actual hard scientific um, evidence to support it. You know, a lot of these things that we say when we discuss mental health can sometimes drift into sounding like memes. You know, and 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 so what's great is books like yours, um, which are you know rigorously researched bits of 
kind of popular science that, uh, you know, really support these thoughts. And I think that's wonderful. I want to ask you uh, about, to tell us a bit about uh, a chapter um, with the really enticing title, Limitless Willpower. Mm -hmm. I'm always... I'm seeing nowadays these sort of popular diet apps that tell you that they take a more psychological approach to helping you lose weight that some people have sworn by. And I look at them and think, no, is that really a thing or is it another scam? Um, I'm really interested in, in the, in the sort of um, the science uh, behind willpower. Uh, What can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's quite, there's been a big shift actually in the kind of scientific understanding of willpower within the last 10 years. So, Mm Um, prior to that point, I think scientists had generally assumed that our kind of um, self-control and kind of ability to concentrate is inevitably depleted when it's kind of exercised. So, you know, if you're resisting like um, the biscuit tin, you know, you might fare okay for the first five minutes or the first hour, but if it's kind of there and constantly in your awareness, it's going to become harder and harder to avoid eating the biscuits. Um, similarly, you know, if you're focusing on work, um, you know, uh, they, they assumed that you might be fine after half an hour, but after an hour, like your concentration is just going to kind of, um, it's just going to vanish and there's nothing you can do about that. Um, what this research has shown is that actually, to a certain extent, this is a kind of mindset effect and it's a kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And um, so there are kind of broadly speaking, it's a spectrum, but broadly speaking, there are two kinds of mindsets. There are people who see willpower as being um, uh, inherently kind of depleting. And there are those who actually see willpower as being self-sustaining so they see that like the more they exercise their willpower the more they kind of exercise self-control or concentration the kind of more energized they feel and the the better able they are to continue it's almost like you've given a car a push and then it's running uh, by itself uh, and then that that's both of those mindsets are self-fulfilling prophecies so if you see willpower as being energizing you you actually do have a lot better concentration over the long term and you're you're much better able to kind of resist temptations and they've done this in the lab but also in kind of longitudinal studies looking at people and those with the willpower is energizing mindset tend to uh, find it much easier to kind of um to focus on their work but then also to kind of do kind of all of these healthy lifestyle interventions, you know, like exercising or sticking to a diet or taking medication, you know, they're much more rigorous about when they take the medication and they they don't, you know, like their life stresses are kind of separate, separated from that. So that they're not, they're not so much influenced by their circumstances. Um, so I think that's quite powerful work. Um, and I, I think like, sometimes like I worried while I was reading this, that it's just another way of kind of um, kind of trying to promote this idea of like that everyone should be just totally productive the whole time and that, you know, it could almost contribute to like workaholism. Um, but actually that's not what the research suggests. And actually the people with the um, kind of limitless mindset for willpower, the idea that it's... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Energizing. They actually seem to have a really good work-life balance um, because they're, they seem to just be able to focus better while they're at work, kind of nine to five. And then in the evenings, they have enough energy to actually do all of the things that are personally important for them so they don't have that kind of bleed over from the stresses of the day kind of bleeding into the evening um so actually the, overall their kind of life satisfaction is a bit better um i'd say obviously this has limits um you know um and also if you know if we have like one mindset it's not necessarily like super easy to just change that mindset overnight and I certainly haven't been able to do that but again it just helped me to question sometimes like if I had a kind of very self-defeating attitude to like something like um dieting it just made me question like well is that actually am I really is it inevitable that I'm going to kind of braid the biscuit tin or is this something that actually I can kind of practice and get better at over time and that's what I found actually with things like self-control in that context there's all about practice and you know the first day might be a bit hard uh, harder but the second day it becomes easier the third day it becomes easier still when you have that mindset so yeah I think it can be powerful I just don't think we want to overstate kind of um what that can achieve and i don't think we want to make people feel guilty if you know they do struggle with these things still yeah i mean is there are you you know uh, so you're not saying there's a type a and a type b personality here and and uh, you know you're either cut from one sort where you you find willpower this struggle or or another type where you just find it like self-perpetuating i mean i personally know that some days i go for a run and halfway through the run I'm feeling so great that I think I could actually double the length of this run because I'm feeling fantastic. And other days from the first step to the last, all I'm doing is praying for the finishing line. I just want it over with. And it's the same with giving things up in the past. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've certainly been both those people. Uh, you know, is, is there evidence or anything you can tell us about how you can switch from one to the other? Yeah, so absolutely, these mindsets are malleable. Um, So that is the good news. And kind of like I was saying with myself, it's a question of kind of doing that incrementally and kind of testing your boundaries, I think. So, So like I said, it was like, you know, I really struggled like the first day that I was trying to kind of lose a bit of weight by cutting down on my snacking. Um, And then I just kind of kept on returning to this idea that maybe those struggles and maybe that I actually had more willpower, more resources than I had considered. And so, yeah, like day by day, it got a bit easier, but it wasn't a kind of instantly I just learned about this mindset and then became, had this wonderful like will of steel you know it took time and I, I think that's the same with all mindsets you're kind of rewriting mental habits and it just takes a bit of time to kind of do that but you you can test yourself and then you can kind of once you've kind of had a success that's kind of proof that it's working and you can build on that and it's it's really that kind of uh mindset I think it's that kind of attitude that you're almost testing yourself like you're a scientist kind of documenting the change um and then over time you can kind of prove to yourself that maybe your resources are just a little bit kind of bigger um than you'd imagined so yeah you definitely can change it I also think like you said like actually just context is still really important um 
in that like um you know sometimes you're just going to be in like a really bad mood and it's going to be harder <laughs> than like other days if everything seems to be going well so we also have to be a bit forgiving of ourselves in those kinds of contexts and actually if we slip up on any of these things like we miss a workout we kind of um have a big piece of cake that is fine and actually like we need to avoid the it's called the what the hell effect and and one of yeah. the reasons that it's difficult to stick to uh, diets is that you know you you might have been like slimming for a month and then you eat a piece of cake and you're like you feel like you're you know all of that hard work was wasted and so you just go back to eating how you had done beforehand but mm. that's not really I don't think that's a totally rational way of looking at it because actually that big piece of cake is only it's not going to undo all of that hard work at all you could just see it as a minor blip um, on your kind of overall tra uh, trajectory and the science shows that actually when you do look at it in that way, you're much more likely to kind of stick to your um, stick to your goals, even if you do have the occasional kind of deviation. And overall, like over a year, like you're going to see much bigger benefits. Is there anything that um, any evidence that sort of suggests the importance of um, doing this as a group, do it, do it, making these sort of mindset shifts in conjunction with other people? Um, personally, I know that anytime I've given something up or tried to stick to a new routine, um, it's much easier to basically jump off the wagon and, and just stop whatever it is you're doing when you've only been doing it on your own anyway, because you sort of think, ah, no one knows anyway. So what's the consequence of a lot of these sort of shifts you're talking about with expectancy and willpower happened in, within group studies? You know, there haven't been huge numbers of group studies, but actually what has been done in groups has been really encouraging, I think. And that's um, what they show, actually, is that um, the mindsets can be kind of contagious to a certain extent. So if you have like a sports team um, and one person has like a certain mindset towards like a kind of pregame nerves, for example, yeah. if they kind of see their anxiety as being positive and helping their performance, then that kind of rubs off on the other people, too, so that everyone in the group starts to develop that kind of more positive mindset. So I actually think if you're wanting to make these changes and you you do kind of join other like-minded people and all of you go into it with a kind of more positive, constructive mindset, then that actually that could be really beneficial. It could be kind of, um, uh, what's the word? Um, you know, it could kind of be self-reinforcing, I think. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely think, like, if you can get people on board, that's great. That's really useful. Is there any broad advice that you can offer to us in terms of just, you know, utilising or harnessing the expectation effect in our everyday life when we get up in the morning? Yeah, um, there probably is. Let me think, because I think what I kind of explain in the book is that actually like I said, it's not about vague optimism. So often the specific, we have to think specifically about the expectations in specific situations. Um, but I do think there are some tips that I personally find really useful. Um, and one of them is just the uh, kind of power of ritual. And even if you're not superstitious, actually just building small rituals in your life can be really powerful. Um, so when you perform a ritual, which has to be a kind of systematic set of behaviors done in a certain order um but when you do that it can actually just raise your feelings of self-control and lower anxiety um there was one brilliant study where 
the researchers invited people in to do karaoke singing. And, um, you know, a lot of the students really hated the idea of singing in public. Uh, but they got half of these students to um, uh, just do this bizarre ritual where they had to draw a picture of how they were feeling, sprinkle it with salt, scrub the piece of paper and then throw it in the bin. <laughs> and those um, <laughs> students, I oh, know, yeah. It's, it's bizarre, like, I don't think any, any of the students believed that there was anything magical about that. Mm. But they actually their performance on the karaoke singing was so much better. So the software was tracking like their pitch accuracy and it was about 13 percentile points better uh, than the people who didn't do the ritual. And that also correlated with their levels of anxiety. So they just felt like they had more control of themselves from performing this bizarre ritual. Um, you know, if you want to add that to your kind of daily life, like I'm sure that would be useful, but if that feels a bit too silly. I think there's lots of other things that we can do just to kind of create a sense of order. Um, I personally do this thing when I'm making my morning cup of coffee. Um, I just count out like each bean before I grind it. So I have 60 in total for one cup. And that's, wow. that's just inspired by um, Beethoven apparently did the same. So okay. You know, like, I just thought, well, if I'm going to adopt, like, a ritual, like, that's a decent one to do. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I do that, and then I'm just very particular about, you know, how long I kind of um, leave it to brew, like, all of that kind of thing. Um, and actually, yeah, I just feel like that is small, is arbitrary in a way, but it actually just helps me to, to kind of set myself up for the day, feeling that I'm a bit more in control of my life, and that's been really beneficial for me. Mm. It's quite meditative to having those rituals too, isn't it, which is good at clearing the mind and of worry and so forth. Yeah, that's exactly it, and I think that is one of the benefits. Partly it's an expectation effect, and I think partly it's because it's actually helping you to clear the kind of rumination from your brain. If it's occupied with something that is kind of familiar and regular and quite precise well david it's a real pleasure to talk to you thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me um the book is the expectation effect it's full of fascinating stuff and really inspiring too and i think it will really help make a change people's lives um thank you ever so much for your time and best of luck with it oh thank you yeah it's been a real pleasure chatting to you thanks well there you go david robson i've really enjoyed reading his book and it has really made me think about the importance of belief and hope in all of my own efforts to change every day for the better in some small way. Anyway, the book's called The Expectation Effect. It's by David Robson. It's published by Canongate and it's out now. And I'll post it in the Reset book list, which you can find at bookshop.org. If you like this stuff, please subscribe to the Reset newsletter at samdelaney.substack.com to get weekly posts from me sent straight to your inbox and early access to this weekly podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening, be lucky, and don't let the dickheads get you down.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.